1 Thessalonians chapter 2. I'm going to begin reading in verse 17 and read on through verse 20 in chapter 2. The Bible says in verse 17, But we, brethren, being taken from you for a short time in presence, not in heart, endeavored the more abundantly to see your face with great desire. Wherefore, we would have come unto you, even I, Paul, once and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ that is coming? For ye are our glory, ye are our glory and joy. You may be seated. Uh, glory and joy is what I titled it tonight. And as believers in Christ, there ought to be the presence of joy in our life. I would say that I get excited when I think about my salvation in Christ Jesus. I get excited about that. Uh, I never want to forget what he did for me on the cross at Calvary. And uh, I believe there ought to be joy in our life, if for nothing else, for that at least. And uh, in the uh, thought of the joy is the fact that he's coming again. So if you're saved, knowing that he's coming again ought to bring some joy to our life. And I'll show you scriptures that back this up. Uh, for the coming of our Savior, glory for our Christ that is coming. Uh, how we should be thankful for what he has done and what he's going to do for us. As we looked at this book of Thessalonica, or Thessalonians here, we're looking at this letter that Paul wrote to the church at Thessalonica. There were some problems, and there were some struggles in the lives of the people. There was some persecution had come upon them. And uh, Paul said, look, I even wanted to come over and see you. Uh, my heart longed to be with you. Uh, I, I had such a great desire, but listen, there's a fellow named Satan, and he hindered the work. He tried to stop me, and, and, it, and it worked for a time. And so when we look at this, uh, there are many struggles going on in the lives of these people here at this church, but Paul was giving them words of encouragement in their time of trial. And so he's saying, look, when you're going through trouble, let me, let me encourage you in some areas. Let me, let me encourage you about your salvation. Let me encourage you about the coming of our Christ again. Let me encourage you in those things. And so he was trying to just make every effort at being an encouragement to others, especially to those of the household of faith. Now, our challenge tonight is just that. Are we an encouragement to one another in the household of faith? I'm going to look at Paul. He's going to be our example tonight. And one of the things that I challenge all of us to do is to be a, a person that goes out of our way to be an encouragement to other people. Uh, oftentimes, it's easy to be a discourager. Uh, it is easy to be a critic. It's easy to be hard on people. <laughs> it's hard to come up alongside people sometimes and try to encourage them uh, when maybe they're not even doing right. But you want to try to encourage them to do right. And so you want to come up alongside folks, especially those of the household of faith. And I begin to think about us uh, and that this church, us as a body, are a family. And we're a family. And, and believe me, families argue and fight. How many of you know families argue and fight, huh? We get into trouble, don't we? People, I mean, when you are in close proximity to each other for long extended periods of time, sometimes you get to the place where we get on each other's nerves. Now that's the point where you say amen, right? We do. Uh, we get on each other's nerves at times. And so here's the thing, though. We are a family, and, uh, and we're in the family of God, so we belong to him. And as such, we're brothers and sisters. Do you know what's so uh, provoking about this? Is even if you don't like me, do you realize if you're saved, you've got to spend eternity with me? <laughs> you ought to learn how to get along with me. You're going to spend eternity with me. And the thing of it is, is we're going to spend eternity with each other. Listen, we are all on the same team. Right. <laughs> Amen? And we all ought to be on Team Jesus. I think Paul was trying to encourage these folks 
in that vein, and we're brothers and sisters in Christ, and therefore we should take time to pray for one another. Really pray for one another. Really reach out to one another. Uh, do what we can to be an encouragement to one another. And, and reach out to our family members, especially in their time of need. Now, here's the challenge for you tonight. Would you consider yourself as an encourager? Based upon the words of Christ, would you consider yourself an encourager? Spiritually, would you consider yourself to be that type of person? Now, we are to do as much as possible to pray and encourage and assist one another in our times of trials and in our times of need, and I think that's basically what Paul was doing here. So, for one to have that glory and that joy as a believer, I think it requires us to focus on something. What's our heart like one toward another? <laughs> What's our attitude, our spirit? What's our heart like one toward another? You know, somebody come in and they got that lip hanging down, and you say, good morning. That's not healthy. <laughs> I want to know, did you have a bad sandwich yesterday? Is that what happened to you? <laughs> I mean, what's wrong? And, and the thing of it is, is that we ought to reach out to one another and say, hey, is there something I can do to help? Our heart, our heart ought to be in focus. And then praying, praying to overcome the hindrance. In this case, Paul said the hindrance was Satan himself. He said the hindrance was Satan himself. Sometimes there's hindrances in our lives, and we ought to be praying for one another to overcome some of those hindrances. Uh, when I reach out to some of you folks, and you know, I, you know who you are. I text you, and I say, hey, is there anything I can pray for you about today? I have you and your family on my heart, on my mind, and I'm not joking about that. That's, that's not a, a passive thing to me. That's an active thing. That is that God brought you to my remembrance, and today I'm sending this to you because I want to know, is there something I can pray for you about? Sometimes some of you send something back and say, hey, could you pray about this? Or could you pray about that? Sure enough, no problem. And the thing of it is, is that we ought to think about how we can pray for one another. Heart, praying to overcome the hindrances. And then here, we have to do this. We have to keep this in sight. <laughs> the hope of his returning. Amen? He's coming again. Paul tried to get them to get that back in focus here. He was trying to say, hey, look, I know you're going through a lot of trouble, but I want you to remember this one thing. He's coming again. <laughs> and, and, and I love verse 20. For ye are our glory and joy. <laughs> See, in the presence of Christ when he returns, when we see him, man, I can't imagine how exciting that's going to be at that moment. Paul's saying, for you, you know, you are our glory and joy. I mean, when we get there, man, anybody that you've won to Christ, can you imagine what that's going to be like? What a great time heaven's going to be, amen? And believe me, that's for eternity. And so we get to spend an eternity there. I want to talk about the heart of the issue, first of all. Look at verse 17. He said, but we, brethren, being taken from you for a short time in presence... Notice what he says, not in what? Heart. <laughs> We're not here anymore, but, you know, I'm praying when the Dukes leave that Brother Duke doesn't quit praying for me, doesn't quit praying for Calvary. He may not be here, but I'm saying, boy, I hope we don't leave your heart the moment you walk out the door. Now, Paul was helping these believers through some difficult times of persecution, and his heart was desiring to be with them that he may minister to them. And you know, there are times in our lives that we know troubled times have come upon another person. Right here in this church, troubled times have come upon people. And when those troubled times come upon the hearts of those people uh, into another's lives, it would be of great encouragement for us to call them or text them or uh, call, uh, pick up the phone or send a card or just say, hey, listen, just want you to know we're thinking about you. Is there something I can pray for you about? Or is there some way in which I can help? Can I come alongside that person and help them with the need that they have? And listen, there are times in our lives that we know troubled times have come upon another's life, and, and sometimes we greatly care about those people. Sometimes we can't be there, but there are times when we can be there, and we have to make every effort to do so. And so I say to you, 
And we may not always be there in presence, but we're there in heart at times. And, you know, as one human being, you can only be in so many locations at once, right? That means you can be only in what? One location at a time. <laughs> we are not God. And so Paul said, I'm not in your presence, but you've not left my heart. I want you to know we're there in heart with you. And so this should be a strong characteristic of any Christian and a desire to encourage others in difficult times. It's a biblical mandate that we should have a heart to help others, especially those that are of the household of faith. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. We ought to reach out to one another if we can help one another. If someone's moving, we ought to, if we have a vehicle to help, we ought to say, hey, listen, I got a vehicle available. I can help you move. Or if you have a need, uh, uh, that you come up alongside them. And, uh, and Kathy, I just have to share, I was so grateful to you for letting my daughter use your car. I, I can't explain to you what that meant to me as a father. And we were in dire straits. And Kathy allowed my daughter to use her car for an extended period of time. That meant a lot to me. As a, as a, as a, as a Christian, I thought, man, what an amazing thing for someone else to be willing to do that for someone else. Now, she didn't do it for me, but you did, in essence, do it for me as you helped my daughter out. And I think about things just like that. And, and listen, others of you, I know, have done some of those things for other people. And I'm saying that ought to be our heart, our spirit, continually. We ought to be those kinds of brothers and sisters in Christ. Listen to what this says in Galatians 6.10. As we have, therefore, opportunity. Now I want to tell you what that means. It's always around us. <laughs> you have the word opportunity. You have opportunity all the time. So Paul says, as we have, therefore, opportunity, let us do good unto all men. And then he puts in an especially. Especially those of the household of faith. He says, those that are of the household of faith, we ought to do everything we can to reach out to them. Do you know if I see you folks, listen, I have seen your faces so much. I stand up here all the time. I can look at you. I can tell you uh, even when you're having a stomachache almost because I can see it on your faces. I've gotten to know some of you so well. I can tell when you're up and I can tell when you're down. I can tell when something's bothering you. <laughs> I can see it on your faces. And, and, and it comes out sometimes in your spirit, and you can see those things. So as a pastor, I want to have influence, not interference in your lives. And so sometimes I say, hey, is there something I can pray for you about? Not that I want to be nosy, but I do want to pray for you if you've got something going on. And I can see the looks on the faces at times. I can see the struggles. Hey, we work in the world. There's struggles, amen? We're around the unsaved all the time. There's problems. We all have bills to pay, and we all have houses, and we all have cars, and we all have situations. We all have children. We all have family. We all have those things. And listen to me. It brings with it trouble at times, doesn't it? And heaviness and hardships at times. And here's what I want to share with you. One of my favorite set of passages in the Bible is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. But in 2 Corinthians, he says, Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort. What kind of God is he? He's a God of what? All comfort. And he goes on, who comforteth us in all our tribulation, that we may be able, <laughs> that we may be able, listen to what he says next, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble. The God of all comfort who comforts us tells us that we ought to be able to do the same thing. We ought to turn around and do the same thing. He said, that are in any trouble, by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also aboundeth by Christ. When you know someone is hurting and you know they're having trouble or you know they're having difficulties, do what you can to reach out to them. 
Now, if they're closed off and shut down, don't want to speak to you, and they're mad at you, maybe. Do everything you can just to be kind. Be nice to them. Reach out to them. Try to do everything you can to be an encouragement to them. Now, Paul shares with us that these believers at Thessalonica were at the seat of his thoughts. <laughs> and, and, and he was not with them, but from his words, it's evident that he was continually thinking about them and praying about them. I, I want to challenge you, when you walk out the door, do you think about other people in here and pray for others? Well, listen, we are a family. You can say amen at that point, too. Amen. We're a family. We ought to be praying for one another. And we all have needs, and we all have struggles, and we all have problems, we all have difficulties, and we're all sinners saved by grace. Amen? And we go through stuff. But we ought to have each other on our hearts. We ought to be praying. He indicates that he was making every effort to come and see them again, expressing that it was so strong a desire, he could not hold back how great a desire he had to come and see them. <laughs> he really wanted to be with them. And yet, Satan hindered them. It was an extreme eagerness, a longing to see their face. And, and listen, folks, I, I have to make a personal confession. When I leave here on Sundays and I take Monday off, by Wednesday, I can't wait to see you folks. She's like, you've got to be kidding me, right? No, I'm telling you the truth. I want to see every one of you. I can't wait to see. I think about you all the time. And I thought, Lord, I feel like Moses. I didn't birth all these people. Why am I thinking about them all the time? <laughs> but you're on my mind and on my heart consistently, continually. I think about all of you. And you know, the thing about it is, is that Dan may be having trouble one day and Carol may not. <laughs> Another day, Carol may be having trouble and Dan may not. But to reach out to each other, because we don't know what trials people are going through. <laughs> Paul said, man, I had a great desire to see you. And so when you're not here, I long to see you. And I have that similar desire during the week. The only satisfaction is seeing some of you face to face. Therefore, there's an understanding of the emotions that Paul was going through to be with these converts, to be with these people. The heart of Paul was revealed to us in that he understood this great suffering that they were going through as believers. And, and listen, uh, he had this great desire to come and be a help to them. As brothers and sisters in Christ, we ought to feel that way. We ought to have that willingness to reach out to each other. We ought to be praying for one another and keeping each other's names before the Lord. You know, we don't know what a week holds for somebody. We just don't. We have no idea who of you are going to walk out of here, and it's going to be the worst week you ever had in your life. You say, preacher, please don't say that. It could be. It's just the way things go. <laughs> But you know, if God lays someone on your heart in this church, you ought to do everything you can to reach out to them. You ought to do everything you can to reach to them and say, hey, listen, I just want you to know I'm thinking about you. Paul, he said, listen, I was trying to come to you, and uh, he knew that Satan was hard at work. Because <laughs> here's what he said. He said, I wanted, uh, uh, he says, uh, but we, brethren, uh, being taken from you for a short time in presence, not in heart, Endeavor the more abundantly to see your face with great desire. Wherefore, we would have come unto you, even I, Paul, once and again, but Satan hindered us. I want to talk about the hindrance sometimes. The devil will always try to cause us to lose confidence in God and be discouraged. The devil will always try to get us to lose confidence in God and get discouraged. The devil's in the business of doing that. He wants you discouraged. <laughs> because if you're discouraged... 
we're not as useful to God when we're discouraged as when we are encouraged. <laughs> and, and when we're in that level of discouragement, devil's in the business of doing that. And here's the hindrance. Paul said, I tried to come to you once and again, but Satan hindered us. Paul planned several times to return to Thessalonica personally, but as he so clearly points out, he said, man, Satan hindered us. It's most likely referring back to, if you go back to the book of Acts, and you can tie all this together, you can see back there where he uh, was with Jason and those guys, and he left out of there, and then they came in and got a hold of Jason, and they took him and arrested Jason. And I mean, it just made a mess of things. And Paul said, I wanted to come back over there, but it, Satan hindered us from coming back over there. He made a mess of things. Let me tell you what the devil's in the business of, making a mess of things. He's in the business of making a mess of things. He's in the business of making a mess of things even when we're having conversations. He's in the business of making a mess of things between husbands and wives, between family members, between church members, between brothers and sisters in Christ. He's in the business of making a mess of things. And if he can cause that, he'll do so. Here's what happened. In Acts 17, he said this, But the Jews, which believed not, moved with envy, took unto them certain lewd fellows of the baser sort, and gathered a company, and set all the city on an uproar and assaulted the house of Jason, and sought to bring them out to the people. And when they found them not, they drew Jason and certain brethren unto the rulers of the city, crying, These that have turned the world upside down are come hither also, whom Jason hath received. And these all do contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, one Jesus. And they troubled the people and the rulers of the city. And when they heard these things, and when they had taken security of Jason and of the other, they let, him, they, they let them go. What happens is, is that Satan's into getting into the business of messing things up. And he got in the middle of this visit, and he got in the middle of all these people coming over to see Jason. And when he came over to see Jason, all of a sudden now there's trouble brewing. And people didn't like it. And Satan gets in the middle of all that and will destroy things. And sometimes, folks, that's the same Satan that wants to come into your household and mess up your marriage between you and, and your wife. That's the same Satan that wants to come in and, and create trouble between you and your family. That's the same Satan that wants to come into this church and sit right there in that seventh pew and make a problem for this church. He's the same one. And he's into the messing things up business. And Satan is definitely in the discouragement business. And the term used here, hindered, he wanted to impede, cut into, or detain Paul. He wanted to stop him from going over there. Because if he got over there, guess what he was going to do for the church at Thessalonica? He was going to be an encouragement to them. And so he tried to stop him. <laughs> he wanted to hinder the trip. If, we can cause a, if he can cause a delay, uh, he can cause a problem, it's evident that he will do so, and then stirring up wrong emotions in us. And we can start to get discouraged, which there is a sense that Paul was in the church at Thessalonica. You can see it here. They were both getting discouraged. Paul was getting discouraged because he couldn't go, and the people were discouraged because he couldn't come. And so that started to arise inside the church. I believe when Paul penned this letter, he said, listen, we, we wanted to be there in your presence, but guess what? We couldn't. And they were hindered. They were slowed down. Sometimes all it takes to help another is not always a physical act, but sometimes it's the action of saying, hey, can I pray with you? One of the things that I love to do is when missionaries call here, I don't tell Vicki, I'm too busy to take that call. I say, put them through. Missionaries are out on the road constantly with their families trying to raise support. 
And I'll tell them, listen, we can't take you on for support right now, but what I'd like to do is pray for you. And some of those fellows get off the phone and say, that's, that's rare. I'm not lifting myself up. I just know it's hard out there on the road being a missionary. I mean, these people are going from church to church to church to get to some destination that God's called them to. And they don't need discouraged. They need encouraged. <laughs> they get enough hung-up calls on them. They need to hear that at least we'll pray for you. And I tell them, send me your letter. If you go in and look on my computer, I got letters from missionaries we may never support. <laughs> but I'm sharing with you, I have a heart for missions, and I believe that we ought to support missions, and I have a heart for these people because they're out there doing the work of God, and if they call in here, I don't want to put them off. I want to put them on the phone and say, hey, listen, I can't take you on for support, but what I can do is pray for you. And I try to get the names of their family and all that stuff, and then we pray for them. Pray for what they have need of. Sometimes all it takes is to help another is that action of prayer and helping in their time of need. How many of you would share that you are in the encouragement business? <laughs> You're in the encouragement business. You know what? I believe Jesus is in the encouragement business. <laughs> and, and, and how many of us would say we're in it as a believer? We should always look for others to encourage. You say, how do you do that? Well, today we got all kinds of means. We got email. We got text. We got Instagram, we got Facebook, we got Facebook Messenger, we've got telephones <laughs> in our hands. We can still, some of you, you, you know, we used to send something called a card and we'd fill that out and send it to somebody. You can still do that. You can send a note, doesn't even have to be a card. You can mail them a note and just say, hey, just want to let you know I'm thinking about you today, praying for you. Uh, I mean, there's so many ways to just reach out to someone. You can make a quick visit. You can write a quick note. Hey, maybe they have a project going on and they just need a little bit of help. And you can reach out to them by going and helping them with the project that they're working on. You can just do something like that. Now, here's what I want to challenge you with. How many maybe have someone in their mind right now? If we don't, shame on us because we probably should. <laughs> There's got to be somebody that you've seen this week or, the, or today that you could just reach out to them and be, be kind to people. <laughs> As I think about this, do you have someone on your heart and mind that you know could use some encouragement? Satan wants to hinder you. He wants to stop you. You don't have time for that. You don't need to do that. Don't worry about that. You don't need to send that note. You don't need to send that email. You don't need to send that text. You don't need to make that phone call. You don't need to do any of those things. Don't worry about it. But you'd be amazed at how much it encourages you to be an encouragement to other people. And how God will encourage your life by being an encouragement to other people. <laughs> Reaching out to them. Trying to do your very best. So be diligent. Take the opportunity to do so. Satan wants to hinder you. Satan wanted to hinder Paul here. Paul really had a desire to come and see him. He said, hey, we were there in heart. We couldn't be in your presence. But I just want you to know we were there in heart. And let them know that you care. Lastly this. The Lord wants us to maintain confidence through his plan of hope. <laughs> When I look at this, I get so excited about verse 19 and 20. He said, for what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Notice it's a rhetorical question, isn't it? And he says, what is it? Are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ that is coming? He's asking them a question. He's saying, hey, uh, is this not the, the situation for us? And then he says, for ye are our glory and joy. I can't imagine how much this encouraged those people when they received this letter. Paul 
leans to the greatest encouragement he can give to any believer. That is that joy and hope of our salvation. That word hope is such a beautiful word there. He said, what is our hope? <laughs> this is an expected confidence. An expected confidence or a confidence of expectation, if you will. And so he says, I'm confident. This kind of hope that he's talking about here, it, it's not a hope so kind of faith. It is a, a hope with expectation. He says in Romans 1, uh, 5, 1 through 5, he said, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, for whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations, also knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope. And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. I think what he's saying to these folks here, he said, listen, uh, what is your hope? And he's trying to get them to think about what kind of hope do you really have? <laughs> do you have that confident hope in Jesus Christ? Do you have that kind of hope that he's speaking of there in Romans? And then he uses this term. He said, what is our hope or joy? <laughs> what, what, what happiness, what joy is there? What blessedness is there? That word joy is that calm delight and cheerfulness. <laughs> It, it, it's the idea that no matter what's happening, it's going to be okay because you're walking with the Lord and the Lord's walking with you. You're close with Him. In, in, in Romans 15, 13, no, uh, now the, the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. God gave us something that the world does not have. He gave us His Spirit so that we can have this joy, so that we can have this hope, and he gave us that Holy Spirit so that we have that which resides in us. And then he says this, a crown of rejoicing. You know, when I read that and, and, and you read it, it has authority of boasting and pride of victory and honor, but not our own. <laughs> Pride's a problem, but pride in our victor is a different thing. <laughs> and it has that authority of pride and boasting about our Savior is the idea behind it. When he uses that crown of rejoicing, when he's talking about this, there's something that will be given unto us. He said in 2 Timothy 4, 8, henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. He wasn't boasting. He was boasting on God that what's laid up for me is this crown of righteousness because of who he is. And here's what he said. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. And not to me only, but unto all them that also love his appearing. Now, I want you to notice what he's speaking of here. He said, are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his what? Coming. A crown of rejoicing. In other words, there's this time of joy and excitement and boasting about that which is coming to us, who is our Christ, our Savior. He's coming back. In James 1.12, it says, Blessed is the man that it endures in temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them, that love him in 1 Peter 5, 4. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, he shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away, not for anything that we have done. <laughs> it's for what he did for us. And all that we might have that crown of rejoicing. It's a boasting and pride of the coming of our Savior that will be in his presence. Paul further emphasizes this later. In this same letter, he goes on because he gets to that coming of Jesus Christ. And at the end of chapter 4 there, he, he brings up in verses 17 and 18 something so beautiful for us to be encouraged about. 
And so remember, he's writing this whole letter to them. And by the time he gets to the end, he says in verse 17, Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So shall we ever be with the Lord. And he says, Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. What comfort is he trying to bring to them right here in chapter 2? And in verse 18, verse 19, he's saying, Hey, look, I just want you to know he's coming again. And we ought to have that excitement in our hearts the phrase in his presence. You ought to underline that in the Bible there. Not even ye. He said, are ye, not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ that is coming. In the presence of Christ. In a, in, literally in front of him. In his sight. <laughs> Man, we are in his sight. Whew. We ought to get excited about that. There is the day coming <laughs> where he said... You know, even if I go in the ground, I am saved, and there's coming a day where even if I lay in the grave, he says, I'm going to bring you up out of there. <laughs> and he's going to give me a glorious body, a new body. And, and, and the wonderful thing about this is, is that even if I'm here, I get caught up into the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. You see, the wonderful thing about this is, this ought to bring some excitement and some joy to us to literally be in the sight of God. How many of you know the song, What a Day That Will Be? When my Jesus I shall see. <laughs> when I look up on his face. Oh, folks, we ought to get excited about that. Now, here's the thing. The glory and joy is for all that have witnessed and that will stand in the presence of Christ. The word glory is to sign words of excellence of the highest status to God. And here's what I'm sharing with you. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. Amen? We're brothers and sisters in Christ. You are going to have to spend eternity with me, brother. And the thing of it is, we ought to treat each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. We ought to do everything we can to be praying for one another, reaching out to one another, helping one another, doing everything we can all of us, every one of us. And the more we do, the more the Spirit of the Lord works. And I think it just draws attention unto who Christ really is. Let us love one another as God intends for us to love. The heart, the heart, praying to overcome the hindrances and keeping our sights on that hope. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Thank you for your blessings tonight.